I'm Infant Massage Instructor Helen Thompson. Hello and welcome to First Time Mums Chat. Being a parent for the first time is challenging and changes your life in every way imaginable. To help ease your transition into parenthood, I aim to offer supportive, holistic approaches and insights for mums of babies aged four weeks to 10 months old. My goal is to assist you to become the most confident parent you can and smooth out the bumps along the way. This podcast is brought to you by My Baby Massage. So let's do this together. When I'm asked questions by first-time mums, I always encourage them to speak with midwives and lactation consultants. Midwives are an absolute goldmine of information on all things childbirth, and they know all there is to know about the do's and don'ts. In this episode, I was extremely privileged to have the opportunity of speaking with Diane Haworth, a midwife and lactation consultant with many years of experience. Diane works at the Launceston General Hospital in Tasmania and has significant training. She has a Bachelor of Nursing and Master of Midwifery and became an International Board Certified Lactation Consultant in 1996. She also has a passionate interest in breastfeeding. Despite many years working with and looking after toddlers and babies, I learnt a lot from Diane and you will hear plenty of great tips and information. We spoke about a lot of different topics including how often should you feed your baby, can you overfeed your baby, dehydration and constipation and when you should be concerned and how to get your baby to latch on properly. So let's get started. Welcome Diane. Thank you Helen. I've been doing a lot of research on these questions that I'm about to ask you and lots of people have asked me lots of different questions about, um, I can never say that word, lactation when you go on the breast. I'm not very good at pronouncing that. But anyway, one of the ones that um, most most parents have asked me is that they're worried that their milk hasn't come through and they have tears, they're tears and pain and they tell us what can you do to help with that you know, when you're waiting for the milk to come through, is there anything that you would recommend that they do to help that? Or is that is that normal? Well, they need to understand that the very first, so in late pregnancy, there is colostrum, which is the first milk that a baby has. And that that's actually really important that a baby gets that very first milk. So it's not that there's no milk in your breasts when your baby is born. It's just that that milk, that colostrum, is very specifically made and ready for that baby when he's first born. And so it has no water in it. So if you're looking at it as a volume thing, colostrum is really thick and um, it's a very slow moving fluid. And a baby's stomach when he's first born is about the size of a little tiny marble. And so two mils is a full feed for a newborn on the first day of his life. I never realized their tummies were that small. I knew their tummies were small, but not like a little marble. That's really yeah, interesting. That's all you've got to fill up when they're first born. So, in fact, giving them a big feed is too much for them. They'll complain and they'll bellyache um, that they've had too much. So, it's really important they have very small. And one of the roles of colostrum is to actually stimulate the gut to move because when they've been in the uterus, they've been swallowing little bits of amniotic fluid and that amniotic fluid goes through their gut um, and solidifies in their bowel. So when they're first born, within the first few hours, they need to pass that first poo. Um, and it's black and it's sticky and it's been 
it's been sitting in their bowel for many weeks and months. Oh, and but... that first milk, that colostrum, is to stimulate that gut and for that first food to be passed. And that's all antibodies too, isn't it? That's, oh, the colostrum has very high antibodies and because that baby has been in a nice protected little uterus and a little amniotic sac for, for nine months. And so when he's first born, even just people touching him, he gets little red marks on his skin every time someone touches him. And, and so he needs to be, that colostrum is really good and protective for him in those early days. And then on about the third, so when women say, oh, my milk isn't in yet, it, well, there's milk there, but it's a, that's that first milk called colostrum. And then after about 48 hours, the volume starts, well, even the, with each feed, the volume starts to increase. But on that third day, as we call it, um, the volume starts to double and double and double. And usually the babies hibernate for a couple of days, so they'll be really sleepy and have little feeds. And then that third day, and it's often the day when mums are going home from hospital, but everything is changing. The babies are waking up, the breasts are filling up, um, and so as long as you've been practising good skills on how to position and how to attach your babies in those early days, when that milk starts increasing, that bub will be in a good position ready for that milk to start flowing. So by the, by the time your baby's a week old, your breast milk is, is mature milk, as we call it. So that means 80% water, which is what a baby needs um, by that stage of his life. I've learned something there. I didn't. Re I knew about the cholesterol, but I didn't realize uh, didn't realize that it it took all that time to come through. That's interesting. So, so we talk about normal being day three to day four that the milk starts increase, the volume starts increasing. Somewhere between day two and day five after birth is the range. And for some women who have got particular medical conditions, it can take seven to ten days for their milk supply to increase particularly women with diabetes or women with thyroid problems or women who have had a big bleed after a birth or yeah. women who have high pressure, there's a number of conditions that a mother might experience um, that might make her milk a little slow to come in. So for those women, we know to look for that and we make sure those babies are feeding well and feeding often. And for some of those women, we might even do some expressing in hospital um, after the baby has fed to stimulate that milk supply. If we've got concerns about that mum and her supply, we might make sure that, or that baby's sleepy and not feeding by about two days of age, we're gonna start doing some expressing and, and get some milk happening for that baby. But not, so, not the first time. I know some mums have got a fear of breastfeeding and some people, some mums say, oh, my, my breasts are too small, my nipples too big, or it's hanging, you know, it's stuck in. And you know, I know some mothers have concerns on that. So, is there anything that you might well, suggest that you can help them if they're if they're concerned and they think, oh God, help! I can't breastfeed. All my friends are breastfeeding, and I can't do that. I guess first they need to understand that we've got a two thousand year history of babies being breastfed, and we've only had other foods available to give to our babies for about the last 100 years. Mm -hmm. And so ask the great grandmothers, they'll tell you how to breastfeed. It's the, unfortunately in the seventies, the grandmothers of today, um, they were given lots of misinformation, lots of wrong information. And <coughs> um, yeah, when they were told to only feed four hours, every four hours and they were told to only feed for 10 minutes on each side, health professionals and I'll put, you know, I'm, well, I wasn't one of those. I came out after that, um, that time. But 
there was a whole generation of women that were not taught to, well, not shown and not supported to breastfeed the way baby, our human babies should be breastfed. And so, unfortunately, now if you were looking at popular media, at you know local television dramas, that's not a good source of information. But it is somewhere. And Facebook, no one ever posts. I'm having a, you know, I'm having a dreadful day. My baby's feeding every two hours. Um, some of the stories you hear. Women just get on with it, you know. You know, in whole lot of countries, um, and it's it's industrialised countries like ours that we make it all too difficult. So it's it's what mothers and babies have been doing for generations, but we've made it really difficult by putting rules and regulations and expectations that mothers pop into hospital, have a baby, and then go home without support. And, it's not and there. That's not the case anymore. It's too different. It's not. It's not that easy. So they don't have that support. So, for example, when I lived in Launceston and my mum was living in Burnie and she was working full time, but yeah, that that support um, is not always there like it would have been. You know, in Mum's day, my, in my mother's day, her her mother was around because grandmothers in those days didn't work. There was an expectation that they were there to help and support, and women those days. As soon as they got married, they had to stop work because they were expecting then the next thing that would happen is they'd have a baby. So, you know, women now, they stop work two weeks before the baby's born, they have a baby. They might be thinking, well, I've got to go back to work in six or eight weeks. Um, there's a lot of pressure on new mums now to, um, and expectations that babies sleep. Um, oh, they don't if, always sleep. That's not the case at all. In fact, good babies wake every two to three hours and, and demand to be fed. Um, it's a naughty baby who sleeps for four and five hours. Is an, In the newborn, the first four to six weeks, those babies should be feeding about every three hours, which means sometimes it's only two hours since the beginning of last feed, and sometimes it might be four hours since the beginning of their last feed. But it's not, you know, people think, oh, look, I'll put him in a routine or I'll get him so he's, you know, I'll make him feed every four hours. That's not realistic for a, a healthy term baby who is well fed. Yeah, because you mentioned before that it doesn't have anything to do with their guts and stuff. Because I because I do baby massage, as you probably know, and with colic, that's a huge issue uh, around these days. And I and I've been, it's also to do with the some people say you can overfeed your baby, and that's why they've got colic because they've got too much stuff in their tummy I don't know if that's true but that's sort of what I've what mothers have you know mothers have told me when they, when I'm helping them with colic with baby massage I don't know if that's a true myth or not but I'm people have said that to me yeah so colic is just the word that's used to describe babies are crying it's not there's no medical condition called colic mm, yeah I know yeah so I mean there's different you know there are gut issues that babies have like you know quite reflux is very rare Cow milk protein allergy is very rare. True lactose intolerance is very rare, and they do happen. Um, but most, most babies, as you've said, sometimes um, babies may have fed and fed and fed, and then they go, oh, actually, I should have stopped five minutes ago, and now I've had too much. And so they do bellyache, if you like. They do have a bit of a whinge, or they'll need a burp, or they'll need to do a poo. The hard part is hindsight will tell you what their problem was. Um, but over the first four to six weeks, you'll get to know the baby's cry. You'll get to know when he's hungry. You'll get to know when he's tired. You'll get to know when he's got upper gastric pain, he needs to have a burp. And you'll get to know when he's got lower gut pain and he just needs to have a good fart. 
Mm, yeah. Um, and then you've got to learn the strategies to help what's you know, what's going on for that baby. You look at him and you look at his behaviour, and as you would know with the massage work, um, babies do different actions and different things when they've got when they've got upper pain, they'll arch their back and pull yeah. away from it. And when they've got lower gut pain, they'll pull up their knees and screw up their face and, and, and draw scream. them. Yeah. And all of that comes with a cry because that's their, that's their vocal conversation that they're mm. having to tell you that something's not quite right. Yeah. No, that's what I thought, but I just thought it's good to get that from somebody that's been exper- as experienced as you are. So, and, and what about pain when you're breastfeeding? Is that normal? Uh, well, there's two. There's a range of discomforts. So a baby, babies at term, and I'm not talking about preterm, but just normal, healthy term babies have got really strong instincts to want to suck. So you touch their cheek, and they instinctively turns towards. Yeah. You touch their lips, they instinctively open their mouth, and you touch their tongue and their palate, and they instinctively start suckling. And is that called the? Is that called the rooting reflex? So the rooting reflex is yeah. something touching their cheek. The sucking, you know, the mouthing reflex is something touching their lips, and the sucking reflex is something touching their tongue and their palate. Um, and so that's instinctive. It's not anything they've learned. It's not anything someone's told them how to do. So for a term healthy baby, that's normal. Mum's job then is to make sure she gives them the right bit. And certainly a baby, as he starts to grab hold of the breast... Um, he'll start to grab hold and he'll draw that breast into his mouth. And so the first two or three sucks, there might be a sort of sensation. But as that starts to ease and as he takes a big mouthful of breast tissue, you look down at your breast and you'll see his lips are out against the breast. You'll see that his, um, his chin is touching the breast, his nose is clear of the breast, and he'll start off with some fast sucks. But once he's got going... Um, you'll then start to hear that milk flow and he'll slow down to a nice rhythmic suck and swallow. So after, you know, 20 or 30 seconds, if that's still pain, if he's still pinching the nipple, then you need to take him off. And that's as simple and as complex as sticking your finger in the side of his mouth and breaking the suction and getting your nipple out of his mouth and then trying again for a deeper latch. The average baby should have two or three centimetres of breast tissue beyond the base of the nipple in his mouth to be well attached. So if he's just nibbling on the nipple, he's going to cause you pain and he's not actually milking the breast to get the milk flowing. Um, He needs a good mouthful of breast tissue. And um, that's something that that can work quite nicely. And it's just a matter of making sure that for mum that 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 sort of tugging sensation starts to ease into a nice gentle rhythmic tugging sensation it should be a and it's tender to start with because no one's been doing that to your nipples and areolas you know every three hours before you have your first baby and so it is a new sensation but it should not be painful pinching just tender tugging and then certainly by about 10 days perhaps definitely by two weeks it should be very comfortable all of the time even yeah. by four that's still pinching and painful. Get someone to have a look and get someone to check on what's going on for you. And I mean, there are women, some women have nipple conditions like psoriasis or dermatitis, or there are you know infections like thrush on their nipples. And so that skin is painful. 
and baby's lovely alkaline mouth goes onto that damaged skin or that irritated skin and it stings. Um, likewise, rarely but occasionally a baby might have something orally that's, you know, it's just something not quite right or you can't create suction properly. And so there are occasionally a baby who might need to have their, their mouth checked to make sure there's nothing that's happening there that's a problem for them. And that thrush you said, you mentioned the thrush or the um, infection, that, that won't affect, if, 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 you're, if you've got thrush on your nipple, I'm just asking this because you've just mentioned it, if you've got thrush on your nipple and your baby's sucking, is it likely that the baby's going to pick up thrush as well? Yep. So either mother or baby could start with having developed thrush and then either of those can pass it to the other person in that, in that breastfeeding relationship. So mum can start with it and then pass it to her baby. Baby can start with it and pass it to his mum. So, oh, okay. Um, so a baby would have not just white, white on their tongue is just probably milk, but white patches in their cheeks um, is more of a sign of thrush. And also he's got a sore mouth. So you can see in his frown and in his look on his face that he's got a sore mouth and he's not enjoying feeding. Yeah, and that's probably a problem too for him. And it has so, no weight problems and stuff. Yeah, A baby who was happily feeding might then become unhappy and not enjoy his feeding. And likewise, a mum who was feeling it was getting comfortable might then start having irritable, itchy, painful nipples. One of the challenges we have is antibiotic. So pregnancy makes you more at risk of thrush. Um, past history of thrush makes you more at risk of thrush in this time. And then having either a mother or baby having antibiotics can also make you at risk of, of developing thrush in that early weeks and months. Mm, yeah, so giving, having antibiotics when you're pregnant is obviously not a good idea. If you need them, you need them, but it's just being yeah, being conscious not to just have them. In, I mean, most GPs now should not give antibiotics just in case. They should only give them to treat an actual infection. Yeah, well, I, I this is not on this topic, but I, just, I don't agree with antibiotics at the best of times. I only have them if I have to. So. Yeah. yeah, it's for a definite infection, not just a, a, it's not for prevention, it's for treatment. Yeah, I know my mother, um, she breastfed my elder sister, but she she didn't breastfeed any of us. I wasn't breastfed. She breastfed my elder sister probably for about two or three days. And then she stopped oh. because she said she was in pain and she couldn't do it anymore. So unfortunately, because of that, when I came along, I didn't get, I just went straight on to the bus. But yeah, yeah. my elder, my sister, my both, I, I haven't had kids, but both my sisters breastfed their babies and they loved it, except my oldest, my youngest sister, I think had cracked nipples and she used to put cabbage leaves or something. That's what she said. She used to put cabbage oh, off the yeah. nipple. And I, I don't know whether it helped, but I think it made her feel better. Whether it yeah. helped the baby or not, I don't uh, know. When I first started as a midwife in the late 80s, we had cabbage in the ward and we would use those for, for full heart, for, for breasts, not necessarily for nipples, but for sore breasts. Not because there was anything magic in the cabbage, but it was a nice cold shape, and the, the shape matched the breast shape, and the yeah. coldness gave some relief. These days we use babies' disposable nappies, and we fill them with water and put them in the freezer, and they're, they're reusable, whereas the cabbage was not reusable. 
No, well, that's that's true. That's yeah, and you shouldn't pump the breast with. You shouldn't be pumping the breast too much if they if they're not if the the milk isn't coming out. You shouldn't be massaging the breast or anything, should you? You should just let it let let the baby suck naturally to get the milk. Is that right? The best thing for your milk supply is the baby to suckle, but there are circumstances where baby might be exhausted after the birth, or he is a preterm baby who's not sucking correctly. So there are circumstances where you need to be expressing but that's because the baby's not feeding every three you know every sort of three or four hours in the early days and certainly by day three and day four he'll be feeding every two to three hours for a couple of days then when the milk supply increases and his tummy size increases he might settle into a three to four hourly pattern um, but expressing is a treatment for a problem if there's no problem you don't need to express um, what about giving them if, if they're having a problem giving them formula just not I, I don't mean I don't mean giving them formula completely but if they're suffering and they're not getting any milk giving them formula while you're supporting their mother to help them breastfeed does that make sense you know if you're yeah, absolutely and it's that's more uh, you're looking at the baby and signs that the baby is um, low in sugar so what we call hypoglycemic or low in sugar so if the mother was a diabetic, we actually check the baby's sugar levels um, for the first three or four feeds to make sure that he's getting, that he's okay. Because he's been, um, he's come from a mum who's been very tightly controlling her sugar levels with her diabetes in her pregnancy. And when, when that baby's first born, and he's, he's gone through the same birth experience that she's, she has. He's been there through all those contractions and he's exhausted too. And so if he doesn't get a couple of good feeds in that first six to 12 hours, um, we would check the sugar levels. And if it was low, then yes, we would give him, uh, we would treat that. And one of the treatments is to use formula. Likewise, if he was a preterm baby, they don't have that lovely layer of fat on them that newborn term babies would have. And so they might need formula. Very, very preterm babies, we do not give them, we really try hard not to give them formula for their first few feeds because their gut is also preterm and very immature. And there are some very serious gut conditions if you give um, formula to a very, very tiny preterm baby. So, but they might have intravenous fluids for a few days and then other um, foods by an intravenous line for a few days. And meanwhile, we're working hard to get mother's milk supply up so that hopefully for that very preterm baby, his first few feeds are mum's milk. Yeah, because that's got the cholesterol and it'll help yes. him to feel yeah. that. Yeah. So the Royal Hobart Hospital that have that time, you know, at the Launceston General, we keep babies down to 30 weeks. At the Northwest Private, they keep babies down to about 34 weeks. But our, all of our tiny preterms, so less than 30 weeks, those babies go to Hobart. And the Royal Hobart have a donor milk bank. So they have milk that's come from up, breast milk from other mothers that's been tested and and pasteurised, and so they use that for their tiny preterms if the mother herself hasn't got enough breast milk because they, they know the benefits of breast milk for those tiny preterms. But does, um, you, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm answering questions, but thinking of questions as you go, you said that the, the milk's pasteurised. I didn't think that breast milk was pasteurised. I thought it was just natural. No, from the mother's own breast, absolutely not. So if the mother herself is able to give breast milk, then that's the best thing for her baby. Yeah. yeah. 
The next best thing for her baby, if she hasn't got enough breast milk, is another mother's breast milk. But to make sure that breast milk is safe to share with another baby, it's tested for, well, the mother, the, the donor of the breast milk is tested for viruses and the milk is pasteurised to make sure it's safe to give to another baby. So the mother's own breast milk, no, it's given fresh. Yeah, because, yeah. Milk, yeah. South African babies, I know, you know, some surrogate, you used to have mums at surrogate and all that kind of, I mean, that was in the 80s, yeah, you see all these films where, you know, black mothers sort of surrogate for their, you know, surrogate because the, the mothers don't want to give, don't want to breastfeed, so they have, a, they have somebody that does it for them. We have surrogates in Tasmania. We have women who are initiating a milk supply for their for their um, adopted baby or their surrogate baby, or we have same-sex female couples that are both sharing the breastfeeding. So there's lots of mothers that share breastfeeding in a you know in an obvious relationship. Um, and then there are some mothers who would have a surrogate baby, so they're not the birth mother, but they're initiating a milk supply for the baby that that surrogate is carrying for them. So. There's lots of opportunities. That's yeah, very that's, interesting. Yeah, there's a whole other conversation there that's quite Yeah, well, let's not talk about that one. But I, that I've learned I've learned a lot from you on that one. I didn't know that. Because I didn't that if you had if you if you hadn't had a baby, you couldn't have breast, you couldn't um, you know, you, your breast wouldn't be full of milk. But that's another topic. There's a, there's a bit of work to do to initiate a milk supply if you haven't got a baby, um, that you're not pregnant and making a baby, but um, yeah, and certainly, as you've identified, there are other cultures and um, many cultures that would share breastfeeding and would, um, would, you know, well, as I said, up to 100 years ago, there was no, you know, you were either wet nursed and in many cultures, and particularly in England, if you go back to some of the history books there, you'll see that the well-to-do ladies in England all had wet nurses. Yeah. There's, there's a list of criteria in the old history books of what makes a good wet nurse. Well, yes, I can imagine. I think that might be another topic, but no, that's interesting. The other, lastly, before I before I go, um, you can't overfeed your baby, can you? I mean, people say I, I, I'm just reading something that somebody said. It says my baby suffers from reflux, and my baby is always hungry. Is there anything I can do? Is your baby your baby will suck if it's hungry, but if it's not hungry, it, it won't suck. Is that sort of right or not? So, well, one thing, babies with reflux, what happens when their tummy fills up, that's, that milk pushes up above the sphincter that's at the top of the stomach, and that causes him pain. So a baby with reflux will learn that if he has small, frequent feeds, he doesn't get that pain. He can't explain that to you, but he just knows if I have a little feed and a little rest and a little feed and a little rest, I don't get that pain. But if I have a big feed, I get that pain and it hurts. But unfortunately, discomfort or pain, sucking relieves it. But the challenge for a mum is to work out, yes, my baby is well fed, but he still needs the comfort of sucking, but not sucking on a, on a breast that's giving him milk. And that's where a mother might pop a finger in a baby's mouth or just put him back to the empty, to the well-drained breast so that he can have comfort from a breast that is well-drained, but not get more milk. Um, I'm not a fan of using dummies because it will alter their gum line and, and misshape their palate. But if you're just using it for a few minutes after a feed when you go, I know you are well fed, 
um, you know, you've, I've listened to you sucking and swallowing on the breast and my breast that was firm before you started is much softer afterwards and you've come off with that nice content look in your face but now you're complaining. Is that because he's got some reflux pain and he needs some help to manage that pain? That's different to is he still hungry? And unfortunately, you, know, you will learn by hindsight um, what, when that baby is well fed and has got lots of milk in his tummy um, and when he's still hungry. And so that's just getting to know his signs and watching him and learning from him his signs that tell you he's hungry and his signs that tell you he's got pain. Mm, and yeah. you'll get to know his different cries. The challenge is getting through the first three or four weeks when you've got no idea what's going on and you're just guessing. Um, but then gradually, yeah, that new newborn baby, um, you'll go, oh, that's his tired cry, that's his hungry cry, that's his I've got pain coming. But not the first few weeks, that's just a whole lot of guessing. Yeah, no, I, yes, I mean, as I said to you, I haven't had kids, but I, I've worked with them a lot, so I tend to, I mean, I sort of know those cries, because if you work with babies a lot, you tend to hear those cries, so, yeah. And just, so, the other, the other thing you asked about was overfeeding. Um, a, a healthy baby with a healthy appetite should tell you when he's had enough, um, and that's when, as I said, get that mother getting to know that, that sign that says, I'm not hungry now, I've actually got tummy pain. And so, yes, he will be comforted by sucking, but he doesn't need more milk. And that is sometimes a challenge. But if he has too much, he'll just throw it back at you. So that baby that's spilling, um, in the absence of there being true reflux, um, if he's just gone, oh, I've had too much here, have this bit back. And so that's making sure that you sit him up and give him a cuddle after a feed. And, and a um, big burp. Yeah, and see if he needs a little burp, yeah, a big burp. A little bit. Yeah. Okay, no, that I mean I don't think I mean if there's anything else you feel. I was I was thinking about topics like poos and all that, but I think that's another topic. You know, when you first bait when you when a baby's drinking milk, it's obviously not having it's it's mainly water, so the poos are always runny. So the constipation side doesn't normally happen. I, I I'm guessing here by my childcare experience until about, you know, four or five months when they've started building up their breath yeah I don't yeah would you agree with that or the new, the newborn so after the first few days when the meconium becomes the transitional poo and then becomes the normal breastfed baby poo um a newborn baby in those first few weeks might poo every time you feed him so the mouth starts going the gut starts going but yes you're quite right a human baby who's having human milk um, it's 100% bioavailable so it can all be absorbed it's just the little bit of liquid left over at the other end and it's yellow and it's liquid and it's mustard and it's seedy. Um, so if there's no formula in his um, what he's drinking, then it should be quite liquid. Um, Formula-fed babies, their poos are more pasty. And, yes, you're right, by, by about two months of age, he might be a, a nice, healthy, breastfed baby, might only poo once every two or three days. And there's nothing wrong with that. You shouldn't worry about it. First time mum shouldn't worry about that if that happens. No, it's the wet nappies that I'd be more worried about. When he does poo, it should be nice liquid mustard seedy stuff. Um, yeah. If he's dehydrated, those poos would be little black pebbles. And that's that's actually and there'd be other signs that he was not well fed. He'd be quite lethargic and quite pale as well. Um, a feisty baby who's got the energy to complain and have a whinge 
is not as unwell as a baby who's really pale and really lethargic. He's a baby who's unwell and needs to be checked on. But if he's still got enough energy to have a whinge, he might have a pain somewhere, but he's probably healthy and happy. Yeah, that's what I thought. So I just thought I'd double check on that one because I've been pretty, yeah. Okay. is the main thing that you look for as far as output concern. Poos for a breastfed baby can vary from once a nappy, you know, once a feed to, to once a week. Oh, yeah, and that, as you said, that's perfectly normal one and you shouldn't, you shouldn't worry about yeah. it if they don't poo all the time. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for your lovely tips. I've really, I've really, I've, I've actually learned a lot from talking to you. I mean, I know, I knew a little bit about it before, but you learned so much by talking to others and I hope um, it's been helpful for my first, you know, first time. It's definitely been helpful for me. So thank you for, thank you for your time. And as I said, I look forward to meeting you one day. Yeah, no worries.